Candid conversations that might just change how you look at the world. Let's bridge cultures, transcend borders, and build a global family of change makers. Welcome to If By Chance. Katerina is a fast-talking Ukrainian-American who thought it might be nice to keep busy with a little side hustle towards the end of her second pregnancy. She wasn't planning to return to her corporate job, so she started Engine, a non-profit that connects Ukrainians with English speakers for conversation. After all, how hard could it be? So I've been working at another nonprofit, working with Ukrainian youth and helping mentor them as they apply to college. And that's when I learned that most of these kids had studied English usually since first grade or since very young age, but they still couldn't speak English. And it was a little confusing to me. But then I thought of myself studying Spanish in school. That was my language. And until I actually got a chance to study abroad in Spain and actually use the language, I couldn't speak. I could read, I could write, I could understand it, but I I couldn't speak. And so I wanted to come up with something like that for Ukrainians trying to learn English. I knew it wouldn't be practical for most of them to travel to an English-speaking country, but having conversations online was free and easy and scalable. And as it happened, just one hour a week really was enough to make a real difference because of the one-on-one format. It's not like in class where you sit and you can hide and be the quiet kid when it's one-on-one, you have to talk. And we were working, matching people by age. So people would be really comfortable just speaking with a friend, basically, in a really informal, real world setting, talking about their interests and really forming a relationship and having that be the basis for learning the language. So I was thinking maybe I would help a few dozen Ukrainian kids, maybe my mentee and some of her friends to connect them up with their peers in the US and help them improve the language. And then there were just so many people who were interested. It spiraled from there. Now we've served over 37,000 people. So it's been a lot. I launched Engine when I was eight months pregnant with my second. So it was going to be a little side project, something I did five hours a week just because I was at home. I wasn't planning on working plus then the pandemic happened. So I thought I'd be stuck at home. I might as well do something good put a small project together and then it exploded and became my full-time job. I guess it, it grew along with my kids. So now they're both three and a half years old. So you started Engine because of the pandemic or because you were pregnant and you wanted to keep No, busy? it was just before the pandemic. So interestingly enough, we started in March, 2020, and we did not realize the whole world would go online, but that's, I think, what led to its first jump in growth where hundreds of people started signing up and it went from my little project to an organization. So the pandemic, in a way, was actually a positive for us because both in the US and Ukraine, people were all of a sudden looking for things to do online and the program was designed to be fully online from the start. And how have you managed to attract volunteers? So we started working with high school and college students and and then I'd say for many high schools are actually required to do a certain number of hours of community service. And even those who aren't required are really encouraged to do it. It helps with the college application process. If you're in college, it helps with like graduate school applications. So a lot of young people are already volunteering or looking to volunteer. For a typical teenager, imagine you're 15, 16 years old, you probably don't have a car, you don't have many skills. A lot of nonprofits even won't accept you under 18 due to liability reasons. So it's hard to find a rewarding and interesting volunteer opportunity. So our pitch was, you can do this for an hour a week. You choose a day and time. You do it from your house. Um, It's super easy and it's super fun. You basically make a friend 
and you get your volunteer hours. And I think that really resonated with young people and word spread because if someone's volunteering and all their classmates need volunteer hours too, or she'll tell them about this experience, they'll sign up. But then when the war started, we got a lot of interest from adults and we've been wanting to start serving young adults for a long time, but we just didn't have the volunteers, right? Our volunteer base was purely students. And for safety reasons, we would not pair adults with students. But with the war, there are a lot of people who wanted to help, who felt uh, frustrated what they saw happening in the news. And we, I think, are one of the only ones possibly the only opportunity like this, you know, for those who couldn't travel to Ukraine or Poland or somewhere to help people directly, this is a a way to connect in a very personal way and really make a difference in someone's life uh, that anyone can do as long as they speak English, which is important because, you know, we're we're not just for teachers. We're not just for people who know some Ukrainian or Russian. um, We're for everyone. And I really try to make it as accessible as possible. And I think that's Really, that's the core of what Engine is about. That's the magic of it, that you just put two people together and they form a relationship and they both benefit equally. If it were a charity case, I don't think that works. I don't think that's sustainable or scalable. So it was very important for me from the start to build a relationship of equals where both people benefit. And the benefit to the student is obviously language improvement, is emotional support, is discovering a new culture. But the benefit to the volunteer is also discovering a new culture, also making a friend If they have volunteer hours requirements, they're going to get those. And if they're older, obviously, it's not for any particular requirements. But sometimes people are lonely and and they're isolated. And we have a lot of retired people who really uh, cherish the opportunity to connect with a younger person and mentor and support them. We have professionals who get to share their skills and really feel helpful in that way because we try to match people by specialty, by professional focus. So really... The volunteers benefit just as much or maybe even more. I've had multiple volunteers tell me, well, I think I'm getting more out of this than my student in Ukraine is. And that's really special. I I think that's the key to why we've been able to get so many volunteers. A lot of it is word of mouth. We don't have much of an advertising budget. So we post in different social media groups, you know, Volunteer Match is a big website over here. But then it's just volunteers telling other volunteers and, and asking them to join. In terms of the war in Ukraine now, obviously it's impacting people in a terrible way, but in terms of them being able to participate in what you're offering, is it really impacting them? How are they managing to to conduct the sessions? So, yeah, you know, when the war just started, we actually paused operations for a month or so, and I was really not sure whether we should continue because it seemed like there are more important things to worry about. Uh, with the full-scale invasion going on. But we got a pretty clear message from my team in Ukraine, from our students in Ukraine, that we should not give in, that this is exactly what Russia wants, is to get in the way of us learning and growing, and we need to keep this going. And really, demand shot up since the invasion. Um, Of course, in the hardest-hit areas, when people are dealing with life-and-death situations, and those aren't the people coming to our program, but we have many refugees. We have people who escaped from those difficult areas and now they're living in a safer part of Ukraine and abroad. And once you're physically safe, then what's the priority? Well, it's your job, it's your education, it's getting back to normal life, it's connecting to others. I think what really we offer is connection at a basic point. And actually when people are you know in the midst of war, when the enemy is trying to isolate them from the world, then connection becomes extra important. Last fall, when there was a lot of attacks on the infrastructure, there were some challenges with people losing 
internet very unpredictably, but our volunteers were really supportive and thoughtful about that. And we even developed these asynchronous sessions where people could record voice messages and video messages. And even if they couldn't talk live in real time, they could still learn and send like the the answers and questions to the discussions and then watch the videos and basically still keep the learning going. How many people do you have helping you to match everyone and organize things? So we have over 20 people mostly in Ukraine. And we grew very organically in that it started with just me. And like I said, I wasn't getting paid. I was um, doing it a few hours a week. I hired a few interns and I, I was paying out of pocket to do the operations. And like you said, matching is a key part of it, really finding that perfect partner for everyone. Also, we do interview every single participant for safety and quality We want to make sure that our volunteers are fluent in English, for example. We want to make sure that they have the motivation and sort of personality that would be a good fit. And we train volunteers because, as I said, most of them have no prior experience. We interview them. We give them an orientation so they can succeed in the program. We match them. And then we do offer support. We have a customer service team um, and and we've grown it out over the years as we have certain needs, uh, we add people. And like I said, most of them are in Ukraine, which is great because we can create jobs during this time. It's a very young, very energetic team, which is great because we're a startup and we move very quickly and we're always experimenting and innovating. And so I think it's it's not a workplace that's for everyone. I, I think that it, it can be a little intimidating for people who are maybe used to like corporation with stable processes and products where we've changed so much. When I look back two years ago, even a year ago to what engine was, it's like, wow, it's not, it's completely a different organization, but in a better way. Like we're always improving and growing and listening to our students and volunteers and trying to, to really set up a quality experience for everyone. And now we have the scale we're operating. Like at this point we have over 25,000 people who are in the program today. And I think it's pretty incredible that we can serve those people with, you know, just 20 plus. Absolutely. And so far, you said you had volunteers and you have students. So I haven't heard of any paying customers. So how do you make this work? Well, that's a million dollar question. So when initially I started Engine, I was very lucky to get some seed funding to cover expenses for the first couple of years from a donor who believed in our mission. And now as that is coming to an end, basically we have had to build up a funding base from scratch. It's at this point, almost all donations and grants that we source through our volunteer network. So either volunteers are supporting us directly or volunteers might have contacts that their employer that might give us a little corporate grant or the foundation they recommend that we can um, get a small grant from there. We have been working a little bit on revenue generating activities. So we started selling Ukrainian lessons this summer, which is really cool because I think it really aligns with our mission to connect Ukraine with the world and help Ukrainians tell their stories and sharing the Ukrainian language, I think fits in really nicely. And again, we employ teachers who are all in Ukraine and we split the revenue, we pay them, and then all the profits go to supporting the main program for students. And we've done a few corporate events. Corporations can get a really nice volunteer opportunity for their employees as a group to meet with a group of our students. And we've done all sorts of different formats where employees can share their job specific knowledge or do mock interviews, different kinds of activities that are helpful for our students in Ukraine, giving feedback on resumes, that sort of thing. Very much a work in progress and definitely probably the hardest thing about running any nonprofit, definitely this nonprofit, because we don't really fit into any boxes. Obviously, Ukraine has been getting a lot of aid, but that's humanitarian aid and, and we don't do humanitarian aid. So there's not really necessarily like 
ready-made sources of funding available. And so we need to create them ourselves, but we've been very lucky, but our volunteers are very supportive and we are always brainstorming new ways to, to make it work financially. What are you hoping to add to the platform? Uh, from the very beginning, I knew that we'd need some kind of technology to do this at scale. And if you look at other programs that are trying to copy brains with English, which there are a few, especially since the war, or just generally programs that pair people with other people for any kind of tutoring, mentoring, or coaching in any aspect, you'll see that they're usually very small. So we're talking about dozens, hundreds maybe of participants. And uh, from the beginning, I really had a mission to help on a nationwide scale, to transform Ukraine, to make English fluency the norm. And so from the first month, we started planning a platform that would be online and would handle all of the student and volunteer signups, would handle the admin piece from my team to manage all of that. Because you can imagine we have hundreds of people applying every week, just managing all of that by hand is impossible. And we started with Google Forms and you'd like mark them off on the spreadsheet when you'd interviewed them and put the decision in. And then matching would be like, we would literally go through the spreadsheet of all the students and be like, all right, which is the best one for my volunteer? Which, I mean, it was fine when we were working with dozens, but as soon as we started growing, it was a huge headache and, and a lot of room for error. It would require a lot more staff members. So we were building this platform to do it all for us in a clean, automated way. It was tough because developers are very expensive, even offshore developers in Ukraine and, and elsewhere. It's probably the biggest part of our expenses from that first year was the the technical piece. And basically what we had was initially built by college students and we launched it a year ago. And uh, actually the huge Google spreadsheet we'd been using up to then basically like shut down and died because it was too big and too complex, right? As we were ready to launch the platform. So we've laid it pretty close, but now we have it. It's It's okay. It's working and it's managing all of our 25,000 participants. Uh, we continue to uh, invest in improving it and making it work. And one idea that I'm looking at now is actually licensing it out to other nonprofits. Since we've made such an effort to create this product to help run our program, many of these smaller programs would not have the resources to build their own, but could really benefit from having this system really any program that is matching people one-on-one for some kind of, again, mentoring, educational experience, right, could use our platform. And what we're looking at is having a separate entity that would be a for-profit entity so we can get some investment to take the platform to a more professional level where it would need to be for us to sell it and, and then get out there and talk to some other organizations. And hopefully this would, after paying back our investors would provide a revenue stream that would then support the program. Because yeah, that's, a, again, comes back to this core question of if you want to provide something, cost at this one's about $600,000 a year to run, which is like not very expensive for if you're looking at nonprofits. So we're very efficient, but still the money has to come from somewhere. And I haven't got it in my bank account. Well, it sounds like you've had a lot of experiences over the past three or four years. If someone else was wanting to start out in the space of helping people and I guess mostly bootstrapping or with a small amount of funding, what advice would you give them? That's a great question. Maybe I would tell them, don't do it. Go get a job. <laughs> Seriously, not. Matt, this guy who has his own foundation and he worked in finance for 20 plus years and he earned enough money that he can um, fund, can 
fund all his charity work himself. He doesn't need to go ask other people for money. And I think maybe that's the easiest way. I think I've talked to actually several people who are successful in corporate careers first. And and it doesn't necessarily mean earn enough money to fund your own nonprofit for years, but even building a strong network that you can then turn to them and they know you, they know your work, and they have the means to give you a significant support. I've seen several nonprofits get off the ground that way. Whereas I think I maybe I jump into the education sector too early. So this is the first time I've had my own organization. But before that, I was working for a while in different um, educational organizations, nonprofits, startups, and so on. And so I, I didn't really have a strong personal network to pull on. And I think that really did set me back a lot. Aside from that, I would say that it's really important to start from a need. I think that's what's been a really key to our success is that I knew from when I was even in elementary school that I wanted to run my own nonprofit organization helping young people. But I didn't start one until I saw a really strong need across a country that I knew well. And I saw a solution that also I was familiar with. I had worked with high school students in Ukraine. I had worked with high school students here in the States. I knew my target market on both sides. And because there was a real problem and because I had the experience to put together a solution, I launched something that took off right away, even without any money, which attracted our initial investment. And if you're starting off a need, that at some point you can say, who benefits from this, right? If there is a need, who needs this? And then those are the people who can fund it. What we're exploring, actually, one one option, right, who benefits from this is the young people in Ukraine and their employers. And if we're talking about kids, obviously, they can't afford to pay for it. But if we're talking about people who are working as computer programmers or corporate jobs, even right now, even Ukraine, it's realistic to pay you know, $25 a one-time fee to process application, and then the, the learning is still free. But then we can actually make some revenues, and then we can go to companies and say, oh, would you like your employees to speak better English because they're doing work that requires them to work with international clients and partners. And now let's get get 50 of your employees here and you can get a bulk discount rate. And so it opens up a lot of opportunities. So I think to think creatively, to identify that need, to identify a solution that works and then really align with who's benefiting from what you're doing. Because I spent a lot of time in the past year and a half trying just like every fundraising strategy that you'd find in the fundraising book. And if you talk to consultants and experienced people in the sector, they will give you a list of things. But ultimately, every nonprofit is unique. And, and everyone's going to have a different, I would say client-based, not clients in the traditional corporate sense, but people who see the good and value the good and are going to support you. Oh, and maybe plan. This is what I tell everyone. Like, uh, if you're going to have kids, think about when you're doing that versus when you're starting your nonprofit. And maybe don't do that at the same time because it's hard. It was not good timing. And, and my partner still makes fun of me because I he said, don't do this. It's a bad time. And I said, look, Seth, this is going to be five hours a week. Like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm going to be bored if I don't have something to do. This is a great time. And then, of course, it became like a full time job. And it's like, I knew this would happen. <laughs> so yeah, this I, I think I, I could have planned that out a little bit better. But I'm sure later on in life, when something difficult or hard comes up, you'll go, oh, but remember those years ago when I started a nonprofit, even when I had young kids, and you'll have no more excuses. You'll just have to do whatever big, bad thing comes on the horizon for you. Yeah, that's true. It would be interesting. Every year, I feel like I gain new perspectives and I think see things in different light. So in, in five years, probably my insights will be different and more complete. Right now I'm in it and trying to learn from it. And uh, I don't know, maybe this was the right time after all. It's definitely the wildest season of my life right now, trying to be a present mom for my kids, 
trying to have a social life because we work online. And it's funny because my job is building connections between people, right? We've built over 37,000 connections, but frankly, often I'm quite lonely. Like I don't have great friends that I see all the time because it's very hard to make friends in this adult. And it takes a lot of time and energy investing in that. And when you're working an intense full-time job and you're taking care of kids also have their socialized and their activities and, and trying to be a good daughter and wife and mom and all of that. And there's never a dull moment. I'm going to say that I haven't been bored in a very long time. I forget what that feels like. Yes. So is that maybe one of your goals for the next year is to build more of a network for yourself? I think so. I was just telling someone I need to find like a support group for nonprofit CEOs. And I don't know why it's so hard, uh, maybe because everyone's busy, but I have found that people in this space tend to be so competitive and it's like really stressful. Like some of the most hurtful rejections have been from other nonprofits that actually are working to help Ukraine. And I mean, for funding, obviously, you know, they're, but just general like collaboration or informational sharing, or like, you know, let's try to help each other because we think we all have the same goal, but no. And that's something I didn't know about the nonprofit sector before I entered it, just like how cutthroat it can be. So that's tough. And I think that maybe there must be opportunities there to connect with people who are maybe like also nonprofit, but like not competitive industries, like doing something completely different, maybe not related to helping you grant your education, but they don't feel that, that pressure. And I get it because you work so hard and you never have enough and it's just natural to hold on to what's yours. But yeah, I think I want, one of my goals definitely is to build more connection with people who understand me as a whole person, ideally people like other people who are also moms of young kids. Um, it's kind of my dream right now to have someone I could chat with every day about something horrible that happened with like board member drama and also my kid just like pooped where she shouldn't have and like and I don't like these are two things that you wouldn't unless someone's like right there in this situation I know other moms who totally don't get my whole professional life at all and then my colleagues don't really get my mom life and also being the boss you can't really be friends with your colleagues so that's another sort of challenge just specific to being I think a leader a CEO so that's something I'm definitely trying to figure out maybe that's even harder than the fundraising challenges we talked about Oh, this has been a really insightful conversation. If I could just ask you finally, if there's one thing that you want people to know, if or if there's something that you want people to do, what would it be? I think don't underestimate how much of a difference you can make in someone else's life in just one hour a week without having any particular skills or knowledge. That's something that surprised even me running this program. As I as mentioned, we started to help Ukrainian kids speak better English, but actually English has become almost secondary to the friendship and the connection that we're building. And I see people coming from all walks of life to our program. Like I said, no, no prior experience with Ukraine or tutoring or anything, just people who come and talk just like this one-on-one lie on Zoom. And then in a matter of months, two lives are changed from these conversations. So I think whether it's through a program like Engine or real life connections or whatever context we have, every one of us has a great power to make someone else's life better. And you don't need to be any kind of special person or a particularly good person. It's just being human and connecting to another human is incredibly powerful. Katerina has had to navigate more than most during her time running Engine, a new baby, a pandemic and war. She knows the power of a good conversation and continues to positively impact the lives of thousands. And yet, 
There isn't a space that quite meets her needs or those like her doing great things in the nonprofit space. So I'd like to ask you to help me find people that Katarina could connect with. If you are someone or you know someone working in the nonprofit space and would like to connect with Katarina, please get in touch via the episode webpage. Now, dear listener, it's your turn. Have you got something to add to the conversation? Then get in touch via the links in the show notes. Whether you have questions, a message of support, or resources that you think might help, we'd love to hear from you. And if by chance, you know someone with a story that will inspire others, be sure to let us know. Your contributions help turn inspiration into action, drive positive change and make life just that little bit better. And if this conversation inspired you to expand your worldview, head to hellohuman.global to join the conversation.